define if you can understand me. Well, uh, you're asking about uh, the Western view of the, or actually the Western uh, Buddhism uh, is much closer to Hindu. That in fact, a lot of Westerners, they just see Asian religions as Asian religions. And they right. can't tell the difference. And sometimes the Asians can't tell the difference either. And the other way of going with the, the rules is, is that if you have two levels or two standards of rules, then somehow it must be safer to hold the higher standard. And I'll give you an example of that is, is that having a whole lot of women is not a very high standard. Having only four is a higher standard. Having only one woman is a higher standard. And then having no women at all is a higher standard. Right. Okay. okay. And so just because a monk or a, uh, a priest does not have a wife, that will hold him automatically to a higher standard. All right. Now, the question that you're actually asking is about killing uh, existing beings or breathing beings. And uh, the question is, is that what standard do you think is appropriate for yourself? Yes. Okay. Because not, not killing anything at all is Pardon, go ahead. No, I said uh, not killing anything at all, like flies and ants. When you live in a house, it's very difficult. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, have you ever had a cold or COVID? Yes, not, not long ago. Yes, okay. Yes. Okay, and you got cured of that, right? Oh, yes. So you killed that, so you're already doing a mass murder job. Oh, yeah, billions. <laughs> okay. All right. Do you drink filtered water? Uh, no. What kind of water do you drink? Water straight just... out of the river? Uh, no, like tap water, mostly. Pardon? Tap, tap, tap water from the sink. Tap water, okay. Which goes through a filtration system by the city. Uh, I think so, yes. So yeah, so on your behalf, they do a whole lot of murdering just so you can have a drink of water. And even when they you get that drink of water, it's still not absolutely pure. And that you are going to be killing a few things in there. Yes. Already. Okay, so the question now is size. Because I've gone right to the other extreme of how small, because the smaller these things are, the less likely you are uh going to be free from killing if we want to define the word killing that way yes. okay but the question that you're asking about is well what about things just a little bit bigger than that like calling yes. insects okay and you might in fact understand the story that the buddha taught that has a whole lot to do with, and in fact, this was something that was happening uh, on a wide basis, <clears throat> where humanity in its very early days of religion would do human sacrifice, and it was done worldwide. 
And then they started substituting the animals for that sacrifice. And then the next phase was calling an end to animal sacrifice. And that's where the time of the Buddha, it was also the time of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, known as the weeping prophet, which was wailing about the execution of the innocents, the lambs and the birds and all of that that people would trap and drag into the temple just so they could be murdered over words. Yeah. Okay. Now there is an actual story about the Buddha and that actual story is about the time when he was sitting in meditation on uh, uh, the top of the hill in an area and he noticed that the, uh, the, the sheep herd and the goat herders were herding their sheep up at the wrong time of the day, that they were bringing them back early uh, uh, in the day, rather than uh, leaving the sheep out for pasture all day long. Knowing that something was strange, he went down to question. And while that was happening, he noticed that a um, uh, one of the keepers was having trouble getting a lamb rescued because it had gotten his foot caught because they were really driving them fast. Uh, and so the Buddha picked up this lamb then and carried it. And this is the, uh, the image of the Buddha carrying the lamb that I think got mixed up with Christianity with Jesus carrying one too. But, Jesus, but Buddha was the first one to carry a lamb. Now, where did he carry this lamb to was to the king. Because the king had ordered, because the Brahmins wanted it, the king had ordered a mass sacrifice immediately because something had, bad had happened. I don't even remember what. And so the Brahmin says, oh, you've got to go make a great big sacrifice so that we have plenty of meat for the next 30 days or so at, at the expense of all of the villagers' uh, uh, cattle. And this was actually, I think this is Sutta number 52 in the Majjhima Nikaya, this story, where the Buddha then convinces this king in a uh, very kind of strange way that killing animals is not going to cause us to gain good fortunes out of bad. Okay, then in fact, this was done on a regular basis of animal sacrifices, chickens getting slaughtered so that the gizzards could be inspected and all kinds of other shenanigans were, were pulled by the charlatans uh, at the expense of living animals. And so this was what the Buddha was against. And this is what Panatipata actually means in the Pali. And the, and the whole precept is panatipata vayaramani sakabhadam samatiyami. And that is, is that we will mindfully refrain. We will take that as a training. Thus, one trains oneself to not kill animals, especially if there's no reason to. Now, this was, there, by the way, there was already the Jains that were in India at the time, he was already associated with them and they were some of the first vegetarians. And they didn't want any animals killed. They even got so bad that they would wear a face cloth to keep the animals from getting in their mouths and they would carry a, a little broom around and they would sweep the path in front of them lest they step on something. This is how deeply they got into that non-killing. And so, um, they asked the Buddha about, well, what is his problem 
about because he eats meat. And he says, no, I don't eat meat. I eat food. In fact, that was pulled on Vikram Buddhadasa in Thailand quite a number of years ago for the vegetarians that would come in and says, well, why are you eating meat? And Vikram Buddhadasa answered, I don't eat meat. I eat food I'm given. <laughs> that it was presented as food and I eat food. That you're the one who is making a connection of a connection of a connection of a connection way back in a chain of dominoes. So who are you going to blame? The guy who intentionally got that calf to be born? Or the one who raised the calf knowing that it was going to get slaughtered? In fact, the guy who raised the cap is going to get most of the money, or at least quite a lot of money out of um, taking it. The butcher who's going to slaughter him is only getting a small fee because his job is done in a minute or two. Okay, and then the butcher is going to cut up the meat. Is the butcher responsible for killing the cow? If it's a different butcher that actually cut up the meat, and then what about the delivery people that are delivering the meat? Are they responsible for the killing of that cow? And then how about, and you hear it going on and on and on, but when it comes to the farmer has to give his cow because the king demands it and the Brahmins demand it, that they take that cow and they kill it for some useless reason, that's what the Buddha was against. Okay. That, and that is often missed because we would, uh, rather than, find that really, really beautiful balance, that fine line, that middle path, we often will go to an extreme because at least we know what the extreme side is. Here you run right into that brick wall. In fact, you've been butting your head against a, a, a really extreme. And I just pointed out to you that, no, you didn't go extreme enough. If you go to the absolute limit of no killing, you're going to die. You can't survive yes. without killing. You, in fact, you're probably doing a mass genocide every breath you take. Probably, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we need to find a balance in there for you. And that's what I would recommend that you do, is that you find some balance for yourself. Yes, that's what I've Something. tried. So um, if there's an insect in my house, um, then I mean, I have to get rid of it because they multiply and it becomes impossible. But outside, I just leave them be. They're not my problem. They don't really uh, come in my way. So I leave the ants. They are in your problem. If it's termites, they'll eat your floor. And when you, put, when you lose your foot through the floor, then it's your problem. <laughs> Knowing that, before you break through the floor, you know that termites are a problem that need to be fixed. That in fact, in many places in the world, they, uh, uh, when you sell the house, you have to give them a paper proving that the house is termite free. Yeah. Okay, so that's part of the business of the upkeep of the house. And if it's your house, that means that that house depends upon you. You're the owner. You're the one that's responsible for keeping that place up. Even if it means a small battle or skirmish or two with the animals that think it belongs to them. Yes, um, that's what I thought. I thought it was hypocritical 
because if I don't kill the flies, then my kids will do it, or my wife. At the end of the day, the, the, the flies will get killed. Yeah, but if they do it, then it's not your problem, is it? <laughs> In fact, true. you could go to the store and give them the uh, give them the uh, the can of Ray and hand it to them and says, "Okay, it's not my problem." <laughs> yeah, I've done that a few times. <laughs> All right, so that's an easy solution. It's not your problem. Where yeah. in that chain of killing are you going to uh, be comfortable with knowing that you're in that chain of killing, no matter what? I am. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have to train. Fact, this is one of this is the the exact point that I recommend for many students about politics. Look how many people in the world hate those cockroaches called the other party, or the other party called cockroaches. Sorry, got that backwards, but you know what I mean. All right, and so if there are so many people who hate them and see them as cockroaches, let them go deal with them as cockroaches, and you don't have to. So if you see the, the the little animals in your house as cockroaches and you don't like them, then you can give the can of gas or uh, poison or whatever to someone who does want to go do deal with cockroaches. That's their business, not yours. Yes. The question for you is, can you do this with a clean mind, with a clean heart? Mm. I'm not sure. A good example of that would be that if I take the ticks off the dog and throw them in the yard, the ticks will just crawl right back on the dogs. And right here in the tropics, we've got a couple of dogs. In fact, we got a new puppy. We've got three dogs now. And if we don't do something about ticks every day, they will uh, begin to harm the dogs. And not only that, but they'll get all over the house. So we've got a, a tick problem. And so yes. we uh, put... Um, uh, uh, ointments, knowing that those ointments will kill the ticks. We also, when we take the ticks off the dog, we'll put them in a bottle, knowing that those ticks will never come out of that bottle. Intentionally so. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, why? Yeah, you have to. Because I'm protecting the dogs. I care more about the dogs than I do the ticks, but I'm doing this wisely not because there's some rule in the sky that some fancy column machine is keeping track of. Yeah. Right? Because there's no comma machine in the sky keeping track of what you're doing. You're doing that. That's your job. Right. Yes. Okay. No, no magical. Uh, Nothing magical in there. Yes. Now, the other point is, is that you've got things kind of upside down in the way that the Buddha looks at it. And ordinary people with all of the other religions, and in fact, this is what builds society, is, is that we take a given set of rules and apply it to the children. And when the children buy into those rules, no matter how they do it, now we consider them socialized. And if the kids don't follow the rules, they're little barbarians and they need to be punished or they're cockroaches or something like that. But if they learn to follow the rules, now they're okay kids. But when those kids grow up, they become kind of confused about these rules because when they begin to inspect them, they recognize that, that this was done in kind of a blanket way. But in fact, uh, <clears throat> you, can't, you can't make a rule 
to fit reality. It's just too darn complex. And when governments and legislatures try to, they eventually will put in loopholes. The crooks will always find a way of sneaking out under whatever laws are laid down, right? And oftentimes the laws are laid down in a way that traps people that don't need to be trapped, which sounds like where you are. You've been trapped by a rule that didn't apply to you in the first place. I mean, that's good to know. All right. So the next point then is to recognize that the Buddha was not into laying down rules to ignorant people. That's what religions do. The whole teaching of the Buddha was to wake up. And then, in fact, the precepts that are known as uh, Buddhist precepts, including the uh, not just the Panatapata, but the Tenadana and the Kame Sumichachara and the Musawada and the Suratnani and Machapamatadana, all of those things are examples of someone who has a mind that is pure and free. So if you get your mind in the state of pure and free, then you're unlikely to kill anything. That in fact, you could get it going this far that let us say that the rabbi who was responsible for killing the animals that had to do with the sacrifices in the Jewish religion, one time he's about to use that knife and he looks in that goat's face and that goat talks to him somehow or another and he says, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And he sets that knife down and he walks away. Now, in that moment, we don't know what he's going to do next goat, but we do know that in this goat, his mind was pure enough to see compassion for the goat rather than doing what he was told to do. That's the big difference here. So, um, in regard to the Eightfold Noble Path, that the, in fact, the right actions that we're talking about, plus right speech and right livelihood, come out of the Eightfold Noble Path. But the way that the Buddha introduces the Eightfold Noble Path is important because he, in the Sutta he says, Oh monks, listen, and I will teach you about right organization of mind, right unification of mind with its supports and features. Mm-hmm. And then we go off into the supports, which we began to talk about a little bit. And the supports are like sati, to wake up, to investigate, to take the right view of seeing what is, and then making a change, and then um, getting the success out of that change. So those are the four that bring that mind together, unification. What are now the features of that unified mind? Now that you've seen the supports, bring it together. What are the features? If you don't want anything, you're unlikely to kill to get it. If you don't want anything, you're unlikely to steal to get it. If you don't want anything, it's unlikely to go mess with her to get it, even if she's somebody else's girlfriend. You're unlikely to go lie to somebody to get it if you don't want it. You don't want <laughs> That's it. That's radical. Yes. It, yeah, so when, you're, 
Right. And if your mind is already pure and clear, there's no reason to go get drunk because what good is that going to do? You like your mind, state of mind that you have right now better. Most of the reasons why people drink is either one they're supposed to, because that's what your group and place and society and all is, or number two, I feel so bad that maybe the alcohol will make me feel better. Yes, but I feel great, so I don't need it. (laughs) So if I feel great, then I don't need it. So I don't need a rule about it. Yeah. Because I don't need it. That's the whole point then is, is that when we begin to see things through wisdom, then we recognize that I have no intention of killing. But I do have an intention of taking the ticks off the dog to make the dog more healthy. Because I have seen dogs actually get sick and die because they were drained. Yeah. Living in Asia, that happens. And so I'm always a friend of the dogs. And that's, that's my style. I'm not so much friend of the ticks. Yeah, no, me neither. Okay, so in that regard, the intention is not to harm the ticks. The intention is to heal the dog. Yes. And I care not about what common machine that takes care of ticks has on me. <laughs> yes, I mean, so it's the same in my house. My intention is to protect and clean my house, basically. Precisely. That's your intention. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that makes sense. Yeah, your intent, you're, you don't have the intention to kill the animal for the wrong reasons. Yes. That even, in fact, if you trapped, if you were a hunter because that was your livelihood and you trapped a rabbit and, and killed it and ate it, I could not see anything about with that either because the intention is merely to eat, which was, in fact, much of the intention along the way. That's why I ask you the question, and the answer is you can't really tell along the way of the life of that calf who exactly is the most responsible for the killing of it. So what's a common machine to do with complexity like that? I mean, that that common machine's got to be much more uh, sophisticated and intellectually capable than a human being, and that's why they invent gods. They need a god to make those kind of decisions, and guess what? Any God that I know that's good enough to know how to do that is also smart enough to not give a flying rip about it. <laughs> yeah, probably. And so um, we can really then look at what was the original point of this. And the answer to that is, is that let's get the mind cleaned up. That's the point of it. Because if yeah. you can see the dangers and the damage and what you're about to do, you're not going to do it. And if you can see the dangers in advance, then you're nowhere near it. And so that was the story then of going for the Buddha to go to King Pasanati. In fact, we know the name of the king. And we know yeah. it's a suit, I forget why, but it's in there. And the Buddha talked him out of it with this kind of talk that it has to do with your mind and it does not have to do with changing your fortune or your your good luck because these Brahmins want to kill all the stock in the county. 
Yeah, I mean, again, this would this is magical thinking. Magical thinking, precisely. Yes. And it's still done. I know, and yeah, all over the place. All over the world. It's done in Mexico. It's done in South Carolina. It's done in Indonesia. It's done in Thailand. I mean, there's still some craziness, especially with chickens. They seem to have gotten on to chickens in this particular century. Wow. <laughs> it's not enough to eat them. You have to sacrifice them. Right. And, and um, actually, it's a big show. It's entertainment. Well, that's the great part of it is is the entertaining quality to it for people who need that kind of entertainment. Yes. And so when we recognize that there are really good unwholesome reasons to kill and that that's what the Buddha was pointing out, that let's not have unwholesome reasons for killing. Let's have only wholesome reasons. And if your mind is really pure and clear, you're not going to be killing because the state of the mind that you're in, never mind who wrote what rules that are in some book. Right, yes. Mm -hmm. um, I think I have another question uh, that's related okay. to the topic um, because I know that you, you mentioned that um, for you, a rebirth, is uh, magical thinking? Um, if you, if you see well, it depends. Right, because okay. this is one of the Most things of the I'm magical confused thing. about. Um, because uh, to me, I think to some extent, um, if like if you are one hundred percent sure that uh, there is nothing after death, that there is no rebirth. Why then, should I be 100% sure about some place yes. that I've never been? I'm not even 100% sure of the things that I yes. know for sure exist. Okay. No, I have never said that. In fact, what I will tell the students is, is that after yes. death, who knows? Nobody has come back. Okay. So we have no evidence. But whatever is beyond your own death, be ready for that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But don't count on anything because we don't know anything. And, and yet much of humanity really counts on what's happening after death. I mean, look at the entire funeral industry in the United States is really counting on that that casket means something. Yeah. It's a big budget, yes. Mm-hmm. And when you recognize that what happens after your death right now don't mean a thing, that what means something right now is how can you handle the things that are reborn right in front of you? Like bad feelings that keep getting reborn over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. Distracting and, thoughts. Yeah. And this thought about this rule about not killing you've had on your mind, and there it has been over and over and over oh, and over again, clawing at you, right? Uh huh. Right. Oh, yes. That's rebirth. Yes, enough to call you. So yeah. Pardon? I said it was on my mind enough for me to call you and ask mm -hmm. you a question. So it has been on yeah. my mind. Yes. Right, it's on your mind, it's gnawing at you. And what that really means, if you can change uh, the perspective, is that the, the, that thought happens, and then it happens again, and then it's born again, 
but then it's born again, and you begin to see that it's again, and here it is again. And the only way to resolve that is by calling Damarato, but anywhere it's still there again. It's reborn and reborn and reborn. This is the teaching of the Buddha about rebirth. That's why it's called rebirth, not reincarnation, that there is a major distinction between rebirth and reincarnation. And the magical version of rebirth actually is a step in the right direction. It's almost like a set of stairs. Way high up here is belief in rebirth in heaven and hell no matter what. Okay. And then we come down the level to the next level is rebirth because at the level of rebirth, yes, we do admit that things keep rolling on. Cause and effect is still rolling on. But if there is no self in this life, then there is no self in that next life that whoever it is that's reborn Mm. is not you. Because whatever is reborn tomorrow morning is not you. So if you can take care of it at that level, that whoever it is is reborn is not you. Now we can come down to the level of it. I don't give a flying rip. <laughs> yes. I'm trying to cultivate that attitude. Yeah. Yeah. So the things that we don't know don't bother us. The things that bother us are not the things that we don't know. It's the lies we've been told about what we think is existing when, in fact, there's no evidence of it. So when the Christians ask, well, what will you do when you get placed into the front of God on Judgment Day? And I'll say, well, one thing, I'll take up as much time as I can (laughs) since the day is going to be a long one. (laughs) And number two, I'm going to start pointing out some of the mistakes that he's made, like snakes with venom and crocodiles and uh, 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 termites and (laughs) common cold and a lot of that kind of stuff. And when I get him thoroughly confused and disgusted with me, then I'll take Jesus. We'll go out for a beer. Now, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's the attitude, yes. Right. And not only that, but the way that I got to um, heaven was in first class. You see, all the Christians, Christians they're back in um, what, what you'd call uh, uh, a comedy class because they got on the jet plane to heaven because of mercy and generosity. They're, in fact, they're freeloaders and free riders. But I'm up there in first class because I paid for my ticket. (laughs) Yeah. It's the the right attitude to have. Mm -hmm. That's it. So it doesn't really matter what happens. I don't care. Whatever happens, I can handle that now. I can handle that now-ness then. Whenever it happens, it will be a now. And if I can handle this now, I can handle that one. Yes, that's that's also what I'm trying to cultivate. Because yes, that's exactly yeah. what we mean by enlightenment. If you would, is is that you're light enough that you don't take anything seriously. They say, in fact, that angels can fly because they take themselves so lightly. Yeah, yeah that's and an interesting. Have that whole idea in in English about lighten up. To just lighten yeah. up. That in fact, what happens when when we hear things like "Thou shalt not kill," 
that's good. That's because killing is something that's really, really heavy. But then the rule about it becomes really, really heavy too. Yeah, we tighten up about the rule. Just to shut down both the action, the bad action, and the bad attitude about the bad action. Just shut both of them down, and now you're light. You don't have to carry either the rule to don't do it or the act of doing it. You're free for both of them now. All right. Well, yeah, that's good. Um, uh, unfortunately, Damarat, so I'm going to have to go because my well, this daughter. This has been a delightful talk. I really enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah, me too. And uh, you've definitely helped me a lot. So thank you very much. I will. Okay. Uh, I'll call you back uh, in a few days. Thank you very yes, much. Yes, I would be good to see you again. All right. Yes. Have a good day. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye bye.